Process Podcast. This is a No Pandering Zone. Hello, and thank you for joining me on this first episode of the Actors Process Podcast, where I take a closer look at the approach of working actors so we can all benefit from their knowledge and experience. I'm Kevin Duane. My guest today is Dave Bob. Dave is a New York-based actor who's appeared in numerous episodics and features, most recently in Succession, a new HBO series. Dave is also an on-camera coach, offering classes and privates. After the interview, stay tuned for my takeaways. Let's get to it. Okay, thanks, Dave, so much for joining me today. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, so let's just start off. I wanted to first say, um, compliment you on that we both have facial hair. and <laughs> It's looking very good on you. Yes, thank you. And likewise, I return the compliments here. Thank thanks, you. Thanks, you know. Born speaking. to have facial hair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you look great. And uh, people can see you on your website at DaveBob.com, correct? That's right. Yep. Uh, we all should have websites at this point, uh, I assume. And yeah, all of my acting work is there along with my teaching page where you can look to see testimonials about people that have taken my class and fill out forms if you're interested in taking it as well. Yeah. And uh, I am a testimonial myself right here. I, That's right. Started, you took my class yeah, for quite a and, while. Yeah. And I hope to get into some of that as well because you, you have this sort of, for me, this dual role. You're an actor. You're auditioning and performing and you step on the other side and coaching people and how that comes about. But let's start with your beginning. What is your background in terms of training or influences, classes? I started in kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about we jump 20 years? <laughs> I started seeking out different theater labs and conservatories. I grew up in Washington, D.C. or outside of it. D.C. has a pretty thriving theater community. And even during high school, I was seeking out any and every type of training there was. I did multiple different conservatories in D.C. and ended up getting a bachelor's in theater arts. Came back to D.C. And where was that from? Uh, that was from Maharishi University, uh, which is uh, an accredited university in Iowa that also has Transcendental Meditation as one of its core classes, research and consciousness classes. That's really interesting. And then I came back to the city and was able to get into great theater companies, Synetic Theater and started acting and eventually ended up in uh, an MFA program that the Shakespeare Theater Company offered through George Washington University. In Washington, correct. Yeah, that was uh, Michael Kahn's creation after he finished running Juilliard here in New York for 30 years. He uh, had been the artistic director of Folger Shakespeare Library and then created his own theater company, the Shakespeare Theater Company. And at a certain point after retiring from Juilliard or I'm not exactly sure how like how that worked out, but he eventually wanted to be able to create an MFA program that focused on basically Jacobean and classical acting through the company and was able to do so by accrediting it with at George Washington University. So that was a great, incredible intensive. It's a one-year MFA, so we were in class many hours a day working on all different types of scenes kind of at once and really just kind of building our toolkit. And, and I assume there was the speech and movement as well. There like was, and clown and neutral mask and all that kind of wow. stuff. Yeah. Wow, that is very... And, and I get the impression that you're very pleased with that training. Or what did 
did you take away from it, do you think? Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, I felt so strong after that program. I very, through an incredibly fortunate series of events, actually kind of broke the rules and in the middle of the program did audition only because I had a friend who reached out to me. I wasn't seeking auditions. But as I was building this toolkit, and only because it was Richard III, you know, and I could audition with the opening monologue of it, and I basically thought, oh, well, I'll try out, you know, I'll see everything that I've learned so far, I'll apply it. And just as Charlie Chaplin says, failure is unimportant, it's just having the courage to make a fool of ourselves or something along those lines. Charlie Chaplin and I share a birthday, so I feel connected <laughs> to him. Uh, but yeah, so I, I auditioned for that and there was a show in Rep, Mary Stewart, that the artistic director had me go and audition for as well. And I ended up landing a lead role in that, which started, rehearsal started for that the day after the MFA program ended. I forgot why I was saying this story. But anyway, that happened. <laughs> okay. But so, so the training. Oh, yeah. So the straining, right, exactly. So the training really did strengthen me and, and helped me right away, even in the, in the midst of it, land, land me a lead role in a show, which, ended up getting very favorable reviews in the Washington Post and other sources, which helped me get the representation I got in New York, which actually landed me here, right, right kind of shot out of a gun, right into the deep water with representation immediately being thrown into the TV and film world. Mm -hmm. And I think where I was going with this is that ultimately, very little of the nuts and bolts of the theater training throughout the years uh, that I did it really was able to help me when going into an audition room, a poorly painted room mm. where they're shooting me chest up, you know, at 60 pictures per second, where I'm in a car, the car crashes, I'm supposedly, I get out of it, you know, gun to my head, run down the street, and then somebody kisses me or something like that. I, I just couldn't apply that training to mm. that. You know, I, I had no idea how to tell a story or know the difference between a language-based art form and a visual-based art form at that time. So, um, but, that, but that being said, it's fascinating when I look back at my notes, which is actually something that I did before you came today, um, uh, and found, I found from Floyd King, who was, I think, is one of the most extraordinary human beings I've ever met and was a teacher um, at the MFA program at the Shakespeare Theatre Company, and also an incredible actor. I mean, uh, some of the best work I'll ever see. And he said to us, and I wrote this down in 2010, to be defensive, our tendency is to be defensive, uh, but people go to see life as it is, most ideal in the theatre, where we are not superseding what we want for being right. And I think in general, I think I'm recognizing that we as human beings always want to look good. <laughs> sure. We, we don't like looking bad, right. you know. And if we have a misunderstanding as to what looking good is, especially if it's being right, and especially if that supersedes what we want at any given moment in our lives, then we're dead to the world, basically, mm. and definitely dead to acting. Yeah. Um, and so there's an unbelievable nugget of wisdom, just one of, I'm sure, many that I didn't write down even before the MFA program from theater training uh, regarding life and regarding, you know, mm. but, but definitely what I don't, uh, what I'll never appreciate about the theater training I did was the prescriptive element to mm. it. 
you know, where th- this is, if you, if you master this technique, then you'll know how to act, right? right? If that's the case, then anybody that ever learned anything, right, from yeah. any technique, let's say they just went into, you know, Meisner or whatever it might be, would be a famous, you know, would be a great actor, yeah. you know, who, uh, famous or not, would be a great actor. And that's definitely not the case. It definitely was not the case for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, my training did end up leading me into um, taking from a great teacher here in New York that was still theater-based when I first moved here. And what I did really appreciate about him was that he really did – it was the first teacher where I saw where he really did teach individually so that wherever a person was, he was able to key in and clue into that and, and help them from wherever they're at. And I found uh, – other actors talk about great teachers where they couldn't even ima- couldn't even believe that the teacher was saying something to a student that he they, they didn't even think was true, hmm. but then found out later that that's what that student needed to hear at that moment. That right. student ended up excelling way more than even the student that was judgmental about it at that at that right. very, any given time. So I think all training is ultimately helpful, but I'm. Uh, just astonished at how bachelor's programs and master programs in acting are still so heavily focused on theater acting and theater technique mm. that was all devised before the cameras was even invented and where you could get paid $400 for three months as a theater actor and $1,100 for a day on film and why they wouldn't want their actors to be trained and ready to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, particularly now that we have God knows how many TV shows, stations, Amazon, all these uh, other sources than the big three that was in the past. Yeah. Do you think in the in the program there's a pressure that, that the pressure to get a grade sometimes supersedes the creative aspect of things? Um, I you know I don't know enough about the inner workings of these. Um, institutions but i would imagine the fear of change is involved well for yourself i'm thinking of uh, so you're an actor in this program you want to expand yourself but then there's also this grade uh, of approval you have to sort of aspire to did you find any any conflict with that or were you just perfectly congruent oh no i mean i no definitely no i mean i think maybe definitely not in the master's program and in de- the conservatories didn't even have grades Mm. in the bachelor's program you know it's an accredited university so you're taking all the other types of classes where you're focused on you know getting a a grade and everything like that i i didn't go into undergraduate a degree right from from high school because i specifically recognized that there was a setup where we the purpose of the information we were getting was just to to memorize it for as long as long as we needed to to get the good grade <laughs> on the test, right. right? And once the test was done, I can't remember any test you know right. that I took in high school or anything like that. Then I got the good grades to get into a good college. And what was that for? To get good grades to get into a, a master's program was that for to get a good job. And what's the point of that? To make money. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's definitely clear as 
as as we're moving along that making money does not happiness make and um that capitalism is is running its course here a little bit so after um, your mfa you were part of a theater company yeah so i acted in dc again i went back into the theater community there to do those shows because there was there was a little bit of a gap between when we finished our rep our shows that we're doing in repertory at the shakespeare theater company and when we actually graduated with the masters and during that time i i did a couple of shows including the the show mary stewart but then it was just a matter of logistics of getting to new york because i had i had garnered representation we ended up being able to do a showcase up here in new york as well our masters program did um and ultimately the manager that i have now went to see that show because somebody in our program uh he repped somebody in our program 25 years earlier before her life changed and she had moved away and so he went to see her and in and so doing saw me and then and then with the reviews from the show and being in touch and yeah, and in a couple other kind of happy accidents, uh, I got the representation up here and, and then figured out my way up here. So once you're in New York, what was the transition for life for you? You touched on it briefly before about being in this room now, auditioning and performing on a small screen, basically. Yeah, I mean, it was, I, I did get into an off-Broadway show with a theater company that oddly performed on the stage that Wynn Hanman, who is the teacher that I started, uh, that I auditioned for and was able to get into his right. class with, who's now 97 years old. He, by, by the way, just had uh, an amazing documentary um, premiered at uh, Tribeca Film Festival about him that mm-hmm. I went to. Is he still teaching? Yes, which is oh. unreal. Um, <laughs> and hit when when he created the American Place Theater after being Sanford Meisner's assistant, the one of the, the big stage that he performed on was it was it was at this church, and that was actually the same stage that we performed the Soft Broadway show on. So as I was taking his class, I was saying, "Hey, I'm at St. Clements," and you know, I thought right. that was uh, pretty St. Clements. Yeah, a lot of that's uh, a regular performing space. For yeah, people. it still is. Yeah, yeah, and and that all was developed and started from when finding that that space for his theater company at that time. Gotcha. So getting back to the adjustment, uh, I always remember yeah. the anecdote of uh, Andre Brower. You know, his first sort of break and roll was in the movie Primal Fear. And he talked about how he would do a scene, then run behind and look at the monitor and say, too big, too big. And then go back and do, do yeah. it again, you know. Yeah, or the, well, f- the famous story about Jack Lemmon in the the movie The Apartment. Oh, right. When he t- finished a take and then, you know, the director said, great, now... Billy yeah. Wilder, I think. Yeah, now a little bit less, and it'd be great. Now a little bit less, and eventually, you know, Jack Lemmon said, "If I if I do it any less, I won't be doing anything at all." And he said, "You got it." Yeah, you know, <laughs> um, there, there's definitely uh, that. That's that's definitely the conception that I had about film acting from all of my theater training throughout my entire adult life until I moved to New York. Was that? Oh, well, just everything you've learned in theater and smaller. But that's definitely born to be a, a, a great misconception. Hmm. I think the there's definitely the difference between, you know, uh, playing in a, in a live space to a 
large crowd. Part of I part of I feel that or part of what I think is that the the visual element of storytelling in theater happens through blocking, right? Where the mm. director says, "Okay, well, you'll cross right here, or you'll go upstage there, or this this big thing will happen here," you know, or, or the you know with the lighting or this or that or the other. And definitely with film, anything that you do visually that changes the picture is basically doing that. So there's a difference in perspective when it comes to that. But I mean, you know, if you think about the famous milkshake scene, Daniel Day-Lewis and There Will Be Blood, you couldn't be any bigger than that. And it totally fits. Yeah. And so I, I feel like what it has to do with is it is somebody alive, right? Are they present to the moment? And are what they doing? Is it is it fitting the context in the in this in the situation and yeah. and specifically the relationship that they're with the other person um, that they're acting in the scene with? When 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 that's disconnected, I think that's what looking too big a lot of the times ends up mm. being. And so, definitely as a teacher, I we definitely work uh, quite a bit on what's happening, what's undeniable. What's true, right? For instance, are you lying right now? Mm, Oh, well, that's what you're doing. You're lying. Well, okay, what are the mechanics in lying? How do you get a lie across? How does that get you what you want? You know, does it work? Does it not? With the other sentient human being in the scene with you. Gotcha. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about perhaps your process. You get sides, ideally a breakdown description of the character, and you have (laughs) maybe 24 hours or less. (laughs) Probably less. Maybe 20 minutes. Which is is so disrespectful to the actor. Yeah, I mean, I'm learning a lot about the casting process right now, and it's interesting because I definitely do recognize that the casting directors do want you to do the best, because if you look the best, then they look the best especially if you're a specific type that they only have so many people of and they don't get anybody of your type that they can submit you know Mm -hmm. that they can present of the top three or the top six to to the production or whatever it might be and so it doesn't it doesn't they don't benefit from giving you a very short period of time so you know when that happens it's really just the chain of events right like the production you know everything changed in the schedule now they need to cast this person for this episode you know, whatever it might be. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it could be the first movie that I got cast in. It was three months before I heard back. The last uh, TV show that I just did, it was I auditioned and then I was on set the next day. But it is uh, right. And so really the readiness is all this period of time that you have yeah. to prepare for a scene. Because even if you have a couple of days, it's New York City. So there's all these other things all these other responsibilities um, to survive in this in this crazy city to deal with. So I think for me as an actor and as a teacher, the only way I'm going to be able to uh, get casting directors to want me in that room more and more and more is, is that whenever I get the precious opportunity to get in the room, you know, or whoever I meet, even if it's a small time thing at that time, you know, it's a seed that's basically being planted. The as many practice groups as I can be in, like for instance, right now I'm in a practice group of master students with one acting teacher that mm-hmm. I, I went up the ranks with. I also have three different colleagues that I practice one-on-one with. Mm-hmm. And then I teach two classes, two group classes, and then I coach. 
And when I coach, it's either preparing something for a self-tape or just working on specific sides. Or even at this point, because media is so important to have attached to your profiles, I'm just basically filming somebody at their optimal on a blue screen like they're auditioning for a role so that somebody could at least see that they have the chops. And that's actually worked out quite well. There, there have been two actors that came from the theater world or came from um, musical theater or whatever it might be that now that they had that, that garnered them co-star and now that's garnered them guest star and in, in, in up the ranks mm-hmm. kind of a thing. So uh, let's start with what you do when mm-hmm. you get the sides. Also, perhaps what you coach people to do as well. So, yeah. so Dave Bob has the sides. Now. Well, so, you know, this is something that's really been developing uh, a lot more in my awareness and that's that we can can very easily as human beings see the world through whatever colored glasses we have on. And I think that our as we accumulate life experience, that we can almost fill our containers based on how we see the world all the way to their fullest so that they're only seen in that way. So that, and, and very often it'll lead us to already see something that's not even there, but also definitely have us prescribed to identities. Very often identities as to who we are that have very much to do with experiences that were, you know, le- less than ideal that we've developed ways to be, be able to compensate for. Mm-hmm. So there's these walls, there's these identities, there's these points of view, there's these perspectives that we have. And then we get a side to audition for or a script or whatever it might be. And if we're not aware of that, and it's a lifetime of, I think, creating closure in regards to those different things, because what that closure does is allows us to be in the present moment and be able to see these sides for what they are. And so very early in my teaching, I would say, just slow down, right? The first time you look at a side, it's gold. It's when you can see it for the first time, but it's not even that if you already have all these perspectives and points of view on things. So then I said, you know, well, what if you just like took a step back or, you know, didn't have, right? Because at the end, as soon as we get aside, the pressure is on, you know, we feel like there is going to be a moment and they haven't been such enjoyable moments in the past. And where I'm going to be in front of these people, you know, Steven Spielberg, whoever it might be, or the casting directors, whoever they might be, spotlights on me, camera's going to be rolling, it's going to cap- be capturing all the things that I don't think make me look good. I'm going to have to cover those up, put all the energy on that. Mm. These are all erroneous things, sure. by the way, that you don't want to be doing. Right. And then replicate what I think I should be thinking and feeling in all these moments based on my perspectives on the thing. So... <laughs> to so answer your question, is, to round is, it around, is, is to really get the world, to yeah. really, you know, and m- many casting directors will just be baffled by it. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll say to the actor, all of the answers are right there. Mm-hmm. Why can't you see them? And like you uh, mentioned to earlier, I'm an actor and I'm also a teacher, which there are others that do that, but... Not a lot. And it does give me a great perspective and a great under, more importantly, a great understanding as to how actors could get so caught up and miss such obvious things. Like, for instance, it's nighttime. Mm. (laughs) I mean, the simplest things. Yeah. Right. Or like uh, earlier today, you coming up to my apartment 
uh, you had remembered my apartment is 3R. Right. Right. And so you kept pressing that button where right there, right in front of you was my name and, right, yeah, 3F. We're going to edit this part. <laughs> <laughs> but we, but but it's not just you. It's all of us. And that's what I try to to, to, to teach is, is that I'm right there with you. When I get the script... I have those limitations and those debilities just like every other human being. And again, it's not the failure is the unimportant part. If I, if I mess that up, right, then I will, you know, then I will just do my due diligence to figure out a way to be even more present in the future. And that's going to be a lifetime's work as well. It sounds like instead of just going through the sides when you're coaching, let's say, or, or in class, it's more like you're teaching them a process. Let's slow slow down. Um, I I don't like thinking of it as a process um, because every every side is different. Every side is is its own world. These writers have written right. worlds that are unique unto themselves. That based on how the characters are functioning within them and the obstacles that are being presented in front of them and so on and so forth that are unique to that world. Right. And those characters flaws or whatever it might be that it, it's, it's going to lead to different ways of you having to bring your life, each actor there as a unique person, how they're going to end up bringing their life to bear on that scene. Cause really, if, if you don't end up being able to, to find, find your way into it and discover in the midst of it, then uh, with what that is then you're probably going to do it like most other actors in the room. That is kind of the right way or the correct way, you know, the way in which you're just performing like a seal. And I kind of like say it like where you rip your soul from your body, <laughs> you know, and you leave the room so dejected that you went, you ended up going the route of just assuming what the pleasing thing to do would be and right. went to please that person to look good. And you ended up lo looking the worst that you could possibly look and where you wouldn't even be, considered for the role if there were no other actors living anymore yeah. you know so so yeah there are there are truths in life just like there are truths in the scene like for instance if you are so caught up in the thing how are you going to be able to instinctively intuitively create when you're acting for sure and i definitely impress upon those when i teach more and more and more so hmm. I would never devise something that is prescriptive like I had to endure for 20 years in the in the theater technique world. How do you go about learning your lines? Does, it, does that just come? That's a good question. Yeah, uh, that was one of my biggest problems. Definitely, it was a great fear of mine. I, I remember even in Mary Stewart, I would be backstage where everybody else would be, well, I don't want to throw them under the bus, but, you know, I, I, I would be backstage for the the, for the hour before the show started, just going over my lines over and over and over again to make sure that I had them on. I had quite a few lines. I had huge monologues. I definitely brought that fear into the film and TV world. And definitely because theater is a language-based art form in which you're telling that story and connecting with the words of the language, especially in classical, you know, and when there's verse and prose and, and how you're going about telling the story through the you know, how the show is written. And so what I've come to understand about that is, is that, in fact, interestingly enough, I recently watched 
a bit of the Godfather. I, I, I wanted to actually yeah. get, get to this because you use that as a as a tool in in your classes. I uh, do. There's some there's some great people that are putting basically the the film and the script side by side, mm-hmm. and so uh, I recently saw a version of that with the Godfather, where you basically see them improving a good third of the script. And here's the greatest movie ever made and the greatest script I've ever writ- read. But what they're not doing is going off story. And it's just amazing how well the actors knew what was going on in the scene and what they were doing and what was happening. So that even if they paraphrased a line or added a line or whatever it might be, it was absolutely akin to what, to the story. And they only could have done that if they knew it. And it's interesting because if I know what just happened right there, the line is makes so much more sense to say. But if I go about it, where I'm just memorizing the line and don't understand basically the relationship between it and the thing that just happened before it, then I'll be saying the line correctly, but I couldn't be further away from the life of it. And so the famous Uta Hagen, it's not about the lines, it's about the life and it comes to mind. So that's how I memorize lines now, you know, and, and then once I get the life of it well enough, if I need to then solidify the lines, it's just a lot easier to do so. It's not under this guise of, Okay, I have these series of words throughout a whole side that I have to get in the correct order, one word after the other. And if I and if I say it incorrectly, I'll be messing up the story. That that's not the case at all. Right. I I, uh, I remember a casting director said in some workshop that nobody ever said at the end of audition, "Wow, that's great, you got all the lines." <laughs> right. Unless there's specific situations in which they know at that point. You know, I've heard this over and over again. If that's really important at that point, and that person did a good enough job with the life of the scene, they'll they'll give them 20 minutes. Right. They'll say, step outside, get the lines right, and then come back. And at that point, you've gone into the room, all the nerves of that and the concern, right? And especially if you recognize that you being asked to step outside and come back and take up more of their time is such a good thing. You know, an actor could very easily think, oh, I'm messing up here that they're asking me to have to do that. No, if they weren't interested in you at that point, they would have said, (laughs) thank you very much, you know? So there's so much to learn also about what's actually really going on when that kind of stuff happens. Yeah. Again, having been in your classes, Mm -hmm. um, when you select a clip to bring in to to show people, Uh uh, what are you hoping to get across or or does it depend on the topic of the day? Clips are are getting weirder and wilder. They're really coming from everywhere now. There was a viral clip recently of a kid in a karate class, a young kid, basically everybody cheering him on and rooting for him to be able to break a block of wood. We got so much out of that clip. And from the first class, that I showed that clip to the second class I showed that clip the depth of connections that I made you know that I wish the first class had seen even after that not to say that the first class you know and we'll do that all the time as actors too you know we'll be like oh god you know that or that from that take or whatever you know it's interesting regarding theater it's like you can get away with a lot with theater when when there's so much on your side in regards to everything that's the story's being told and it's live and those people never see a second take 
Whereas in film, when you're on set, if it's Stanley Kubrick, you're doing like 40 takes because he's going to break you from that correct way that you had set mm-hmm. that you, the agenda that you had about doing the scene. But even in just like a regular thing, like the last short film uh, that I was in that just won Best of Show and is going on to festivals I'm really excited about called Airborne, Will Tao directed, you know, you have at least four takes for each shot even. So it's, it's a whole different ball game and if you keep doing it the same way you're going to tie yourself out and you're going to bore yourself to death let alone the other actors and it definitely is not going to be alive so there's got to be a different process especially with theater and film even in regards to that but sorry to go I digress there it's interesting because I remember a teacher of mine quote Brando that uh, director was having him do 40 takes or whatever it is. And, and he was this, what do you think uh, he, he was trying to do with this? I, I think he was trying to break me. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, that- Brando was such a talent that he could do different, uh, different 40 takes each time. Yeah, he definitely had an understanding of life and of things that I think is unbelievable for kind of any day and age, for sure. But to get back to your question about clips... I've done all different types of things. In fact, the last class I taught, I actually had everybody watch this movie, Border, which I could not recommend more. 2018, it's a foreign film. I think the director's name is Abisi. And I actually ended up taking about and went through about 10 different moments in that film after everybody had seen it in class to illustrate all different points Mm. that, that I teach about in class. Uh, from all over the map, you know, because in general, I kind of say, look, we're looking for you within the context of the situation. So the you elements of things and the context elements of things, basically. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to show different. I mean, like, for instance, there's a moment in Border where the protagonist has been employed basically by this police agency to look for a nefarious subject who they can't find in this small town because they found out that she is so good at being able to kind of like smell things and that's not going to ruin the movie at all for you but it makes a lot of sense once you see the movie and she's in the car with the undercover cop that's taking her there and she suddenly sees the guy she smells Mm -hmm. the guy basically Mm -hmm. and in her interaction with him what she's saying the lines if you saw them on paper especially with a specific point of view you would think oh I need to be very alarmed here I need to feel this here I need to convey this thought here do you know what I mean because you're seeing this and, and you're saying these types of words but in reality the scene is actually between you and the undercover cop who is on your side is on her side and so the way she ends up delivering it is just a perfect example of take the weight of interesting off off your shoulders. Mm. I say that all the time. And let's bring back the weight of humanity that we should have as it fits for each of these scenes and moments and worlds and stories. That's and interesting. It reminds me of an anecdote um, in the film with James Mason. Was it Paul Newman, the one he should have won the Oscar for? When I think of Paul Newman, I think of The Verdict. The Verdict. That's, oh, it, that's it. Exactly. Okay. James Mason is cross-examining uh, an expert for the other side in this case. And initially when he did it, 
he was very uh, on the nose, you, you could say, very direct and, mm-hmm. and punishing. And, and Lumet gave him the direction, do it as if you're thanking him for being here. And that's something you can do, is you can yeah. thank somebody. That's the life of that moment, right? That's not the lines of that moment, but that is the life of that moment. So why not do that thing? Are there any other sources, books, interviews, actors, performances that have made an impression on you? Or oh my God, every you? moment of life is now a source. Definitely not acting books. I've gotten very, very little out of those. I think we learn through doing and sure. through seeing. That that viral karate video, one of the cool things about it is as much as this little kid thinks he can't break this wood block, as much as he feels like he can't break this wood block, there's this moment in which the instructor, the teacher, literally shows him the specific mechanics that he needs to do. And you see the kid, despite his feelings and thoughts, take a moment to observe that. And that's what ends up getting him to break the block, Hmm. you know? So uh, I think class is so important because it's, I just don't know of a a really good acting teacher that has written a book. Or if they have, it's like, it's despite, it's despite their work. You know, I, I learned recently that the whole repetition technique in Meisner, you know, where somebody says something and you see it back and everything like that developed because he got so tired of actors uh, not paying attention to one another. And so now it's developed as the way that you learn how to act well. When in reality, the point was, I'm just so sick and tired of you guys not recognizing what the other person is saying and doing or who they are to you and so on and so forth. I mean, I remember Michael Kahn in, the, in, in a class at the Shakespeare Theater Company in my MFA you know, I finished this uh, Jacobean scene from the Duchess of Malfi, and he just turned and he said, you do know that that's your brother you're talking to, right? <laughs> you know, and it was like so pragmatic, you know, yeah. and like it made so much sense and it, and it blew my mind, you know. So I, I just think that uh, that it's it's a lot harder to learn about something about like, that's acting that really is about humanity, that is 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 about the not the replication of life but the living of life in these different worlds that it, it's not it's not intellectual you know yeah that, that's really interesting a perspective that that you come from it, it seems more um, what's the word whole or, or, or complete as opposed to you hear actors say oh i'm a meisner i'm a meth right. you know and and i sometimes wonder when somebody qualifies themselves within a technique if if that is it the doing of the technique that's telling them that they're performing correctly almost like 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 you said like with the with the uh, with the colored glasses oh because i'm i i'm doing this and i'm i'm in the middle of my sense memory I must be acting because that's the, what the technique tells me to do. Just this the fact act- that what you're saying right now has to do with you talking to yourself, right, about past remembrances leads me to know that that's not somebody who's in the present moment. Right. Yeah. I, I remember I was in this class uh, with Salem Ludwig. Um, he's deceased and he was a member of an actor studio. And he said um, whenever he needs to laugh in a scene, he has this memory he goes to. And I'm, and I couldn't help thinking, well, what, what's going on? What about the rest of the people in the whole scene? Well, you're off in, you know, la la land thinking about this. Yeah. And it seemed to me, uh, certain techniques are sort of built upon this. You do this here, and next, then when this moment comes, you do this here. Very prescriptive. Um, well, in, in, and- in theater, when you get a script now that's been published, it has in the parentheticals, 
this this emotion, you know, or whatever yeah. it might be, you know, uh, yeah. this type of thing. And I found out that that's the stage manager's notes from sure. the initial performer's performance of it. Right. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, to go back to uh, Uta Hagen mentions uh, something in her book about how she was the original performer in some play and she was looking for some physical activity to do. Uh, and so she just decided that when she's in, in this moment, she's going to put on her, her jacket and the sleeve is going to get, get stuck when uh-huh. she puts it on. And then she saw the play later when it came out and that was in the play as a stage direction. Right. That's what the, the supposedly the playwright wrote or right. something like that, right. you know. Yeah. And it is a collaborative art form, right? I mean, we should be... I mean, I, I the unbelievable show Barry that's on HBO right now, they admit to it in the behind-the-scenes footage after each episode that they're getting just as much from the actors improving lines at this and that moment, everything like that, than what's initially written in the thing. And definitely in a lot of comedies... Like when I was on set for Difficult People, the two lead actors came and worked with us and did the scene and then turned to each other and said, okay, we're taking a break and went back and rewrote it, Mm -hmm. you know, because that didn't work based on the people that they saw that they were going to be working with the, you know, that we've been hired as, as principals for that, for that shoot to be, you know. Do you, uh, how do you keep fresh on a set if they're doing multiple takes or? I think you got it. Yeah. I, I get, I get what you're saying there. I think there's a couple different things. I think you got to be aware of when you're being shot, right? If these are the shots of the other actor, close up of the other actor in the scene, and you're putting all your energy and all your acting into that. And then by the time, and you think you're on camera, and by the time they get around to you, you're exhausted. You know, now that could be a good thing if you're so exhausted that you get out of your own way. Right, you're breaking pattern. But if you're acting well, you're not in your way to begin with, right? Yeah. You're just present. And it's it's intense, you know, it's a lot of focus for sure. You know, like the famous thing of like waiting around and then yeah. boom. But I think a lot of it has to do with what I teach in regards to be present, that you're not just basically have an agenda that you're kind of replicating over and over again. You're not gonna not gonna be fresh after the first take of doing something like that. Plus now everybody's gotten your way about going about it and now they kind of like catch on to your bullshit so to speak <laughs> you know and so that's that's not fun but i think also like for instance the ship this movie airborne there was this you know i i had this you know i got once i got onto the set i saw that on my desk there were you know all these different things that clearly weren't in the script it's just you know what the the set decorator had put and everything like that and i saw and I knew that the actor I was working with was going to have to sign this paper that I was offering him at a certain point. And so I found this whole pen caddy, you know, and it became like a whole thing, you know. And then I realized, oh, my chair swivels. And so I could, you know, and I mm-hmm. just start doing that. And then the director just kind of clues into it. And I see other actors doing that on set, too. So there's other ways to be fresh on set is just by without ruining the shot, you know, mm-hmm. or anything like that you know, playing around with all the fun things you can do. And most importantly, to stay fresh on set is to be in connection and relationship with the other actors that you are in the scene, because that never gets dull. That's going to be different every time your connection. Now, after you're doing take three, as opposed to the first take and, you know, all, all the rest of it. Anything else you'd like to mention about that separates you as a as a coach or an instructor? Uh, I mean, I could give my own insight and, and I think, what you you uh, bring is an incredible sort of personalization, a per- person connection instead of a prescriptive process of 
okay, everybody get their scripts out. This is what we're going to do, mm-hmm. that you see each person as an individual. Yeah, I, I would say that I'm really focusing people on what I view is literally a different type of performance technique, which is auditioning. So I'm scene study classes are first off theater based yes. and then on top of it, but there's so much that I don't know of a harder situation to be in than an audition for, for camera work. There's a whole story that needs to be told, but the only shot is you from the chest up to begin with. You can only move backwards and forwards and kind of swivel a bit back and forth kind right. of a thing in that shot. You've got none of the props. You don't have another actor or other actors. And it's even harder when there are multiple actors in the scene with you, even just for like eye focus. There's no set. There's no, you know, you're not wearing anything that you'd be wearing all the rest of it. And then on top of it, the the pressure of the situation and, and everything like that. And so while a lot of what I teach regarding analysis does apply to theater, a lot of what I teach regarding clearly you're still on camera is going to apply to at least that, you know, that shot on mm-hmm. camera for when you're on set. But my classes are, are really focused on at least giving, being able to strengthen those things. But really, most importantly, for myself and for everybody else, be able to put their best foot forward as uh, as actors in that audition room setting. And once you can master that, you can master everything. Just like what they said in my MFA program, once you get, once you can deal with prose and verse and all the complications of Shakespeare and the rest of it, then you can do any type of theater acting. Mm. You know, why well, I'm adding theater there. <laughs> and uh, to wrap up, what's the best way people to contact you, whether for classes, coaching, or casting? Yeah, so I mean, if you go to my website, which is DaveBob.com, and my and last name Bob, is spelled with yes. two B's at the end. Yeah, uh, I was born with that. I uh, had no control over it. There's definitely the page. And there's on, not another Bob out there in uh, Red, SAG registered or anything. Yeah. You know what? There actually is. I think I remember there being like a David Vincent Bob in Vancouver, and somebody that was like on the young, the young Indiana Jones or something like that but i mean generally speaking i don't think anybody's working out there with my last name right now which i guess is a good thing do you have any classes coming up i'm in the middle of a summer block of teaching so my next kind of block of classes will be in the fall and so you can go to datebob.com go to the classes section there you can also see my demo reels and all my acting stuff on the website too and you know again you can fill out that form and let me know what you're interested in and you know what you're working towards and i'll definitely be in touch with you that's great dave i can't thank you enough for your time. This has yeah. been uh, a great learning experience for me. I, I thank you so much for being uh, sharing all the, all this with hopefully I, I expect uh, many listeners out there. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you so much. It was a, a pleasure to do this and and to get us all to become more and more and more human, being aware of what's really going on in the world. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> I sincerely hope you found this interview helpful and insightful, and it would be a tremendous help to me if you would subscribe and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to keep this one-man show going. And follow me on Instagram for daily quotes on the approach, methodology, and experience of respected actors of yesterday and today. Now on to the takeaway. Among the many thoughts and insights Dave shared, some that stuck out for me are, when you're breaking down a script or monologue, ask yourself, 
what are you doing, and what are the mechanics of that doing. In regards to auditioning, know that casting directors want you to be your best, so they're really rooting for you when you come into the room. When approaching audition material, slow down with sides, take a step back. We often try to replicate what we believe the scene to be about. I think we can all relate to how that is. You get this first image of how the scene should go, then spend all your time trying to reach that ideal without giving the scene a closer look for more depth, nuance, and inner life. My favorite, life before lines. Learn your lines by understanding the life of what's going on. And take the weight of being interesting off your shoulders and bring back the weight of humanity as it fits with all its flaws, imperfections, embarrassments, and insecurities. As mentioned in my intro episode, this is a work in progress and can only get better with your help, so I welcome your suggestions for questions, topics to cover, or people to interview that you're in contact with. You can reach me at Kevin at the Actors Process Podcast and on Instagram. Again, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you found something, however small, of value to your acting. Till next week, Know your lines and don't bump into the furniture.